is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Good Saturday morning. Dick Donahue with you. I am live, and I am the only one to show up this morning in live and in studio. So uh, I thank uh, Emma for being here for us today. Anyway, going to start out with this week's weekly recap. But before I get there, uh, about halfway through the show today, I'm going to use some material from John Malden, M-A-U-L-D-I-N. And uh, a week ago on the 18th, he came out with a newsletter called Socially Insecure. Going to be talking about Social Security and all the other things that are facing Social Security and all that other good stuff. I think you'll find it kind of an informative piece. Anyway, you can go online, actually. That's what I was going to mention. You can go online and subscribe to Thoughts from the Frontline. Uh, It's free. I've been... uh, subscribing to it now for well over 15 years, and uh, he does an annual conference once a year, uh, investment conference that he does. uh, One of the most rapid-fire conferences I've ever been to. I've been there maybe a half a dozen times, and uh, he probably has like 25 speakers over three days, and I'll tell you what, it's just bang, 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 but one of the great conferences out there. But at any rate, I'm going to go ahead and start out with this weekly wrap, and we'll get back there later. Basically, there was one less trading day this week because of Thanksgiving Day holiday on Thursday, and trading volume was on the higher side. It didn't alter the stock market's prevailing disposition, however. It was another winning week for the major indices, which were supported by some generally broad-based buying interest. To be fair, the mega-cap stocks led the show again. The mega-cap growth ETF gained 1.2% this week, yet the S&P 500 equal weight gained 1%. Every S&P 500 sector finished higher. The best-performing sectors were healthcare up 2.2, consumer staples up 1.4, and communication services up 1.3. The relative laggards were the energy, which is up 3 tenths of 1%, utilities up 6 tenths, and information technology was also up 6 tenths. Navita was the key story stock during the week. The AI chip giant reported its quarterly results after the close on Tuesday. They were blowout results. Yet again, there was some chatter about investors being disappointed that the company lacked visibility into how the export curbs to China will ultimately impact its sales in coming quarters. On Thursday, Reuters reported that Navita is going to be delaying its chip China chip A1 chip. In its defense, Navita was ripe for a pullback on just about any news. It was rallied 25% from its October 26th low going into its report. One could also make a case then that its soft finish for the week might have been a case of selling on the news more than genuine disappointment about its sales visibility in China especially since the company also said that the affected sales from the U.S. export curbs are being more than offset by growth in other regions. Tellingly, Davida's soft finish did not derail the broader market. There were continued resiliences to the idea that the stock market is overbought and due to, for a pullback. That resilience continued to feed a fear of missing out on further gains, that popped up in the indices along with the continued belief that the Fed is done raising rates. That belief drowned out a a view of of the FOMC minutes for the October 31st, November 1st meeting that suggested that the Fed would raise rates again if it felt it was necessary. There wasn't anything the market hadn't heard already, so it was more of a headline talking point for the market than a market mover. The economic data this week had some mixed uh, views. Specifically, existing home sales in October transpired to the lowest annual pace, 3.79 million since August of 10, while initial jobless claims for the week ending November 18th decreased 24,000 to a surprisingly low 209,000. And for the week, the two-year note uh, yield increased five basis points to 495. The 10-year note increased three basis points to 447. 
Next week is going to feature an important slate of economic data that includes the October new home sales, November consumer confidence, the second estimate for the third quarter GDP, October personal income and spending, which will include the PCE price indices, initial jobless claims, and the November ISM manufacturing index. So here are some summaries of the daily action for this week. On Monday, the advance left the major indices near session highs at the closing bell as gains ranging from a half to 1.1%. The action was spearheaded by the mega cap stocks, a dose of A1 enthusiasm, a positive response to the $16 billion 20-year bond auction, and an ongoing buying activity in a seasonally strong period for the market. Microsoft, which benefited from the news that it had hired OpenA1's ex-CEO Sam Altman to lead its A1 team, and A1 chip uh, leader Navita uh, were, were standout leaders. Other semiconductor stocks came along for the ride and, and composed a valuable leadership group as well. The mega cap growth ETF rose 1.2%. The PHLX semiconductor index jumped one and a half. The S&P 500 equal weight index uh, logged a modest four-tenths of 1% gain, while the market cap weighted S&P 500 rose seven-tenths of 1%. Volume was a bit lighter than average at the start of the holiday week. And that two of the S&P 500 sectors closed with modest declines, while nine sectors finished higher. The information technology up one and a half and communication services up 1.1 led the pack thanks to strengthening their respective mega cap constituents. The utility sector was down three-tenths of 1% and saw the biggest decline. The energy sector was a relative underperformer, gaining a tenth of 1% despite continued rebound action for the West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil Futures. Treasury settled mostly with gains following the $16 billion 20-year bond action, which was met with solid demand. The two-year yields settled unchanged at 490. The 10-year yield fell two basis points to 442 after settling at 447 just ahead of the auction results. Similarly, Kohl's and Best Buy trailed and in front of their quarterly results before Tuesday's open. Reviewing of the economic data we, on Monday, we saw that the October leading, indi- indi- leading indicators were down 8 tenths of 1%. They were down 7 tenths of 1% in the month uh, or the week, uh, the prior month. Tuesday, the S&P 500 closed the session near its high for the day with a modest 2 tenths of 1% gain. Negative bias was partially driven by uh, profit-taking after big gains since late October. There was not a lot of conviction from sellers, though, as a seasonally strong period of the market. Volume on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ was lower than average. With the modest declines, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ are still up 8.2% and 10.5% respectively so far this month. Relative weakness in some mega-cap names weighed in on the index performance. Market participants were digesting a mixed bag of earnings from retailers as well. Lowe's, Best Buy, American Econ Outfitters traded down after reporting earnings, while Dick's Sporting Goods and Burlington stores closed higher after their earnings results. Seven of the S&P 500 sectors registered a loss, and four sectors saw modest gains. The healthcare sector was up six-tenths of 1%, closed at the top of the leaderboard, and the heavily weighted information technology sector was down eight-tenths of 1%, saw the biggest decline. Separately, the FOMC minutes from May, October 31st to November 1st meeting indicated the committee's view that the Fed can proceed more carefully now but may consider monetary tightening if upcoming data indicated that progress stalled or beginning inflation in line with the Fed's 2% target. In other words, they didn't say anything the market hadn't already heard, Accordingly, the reaction to the minutes was muted. The two-year note results settled with basis points, uh, base two, three basis points lower at 487. Ten-year note settled unchanged at 442. Having digested the news that the existing home sales in October proceeded at the lowest, slowest annual rate pace of 3.79 million since August of 2010. Uh, so, reviewing the economic data for the day on Tuesday, Egan, October home, existing home sales at 3.79 million. Was revised. That was revised from 3.95 million the month before. 
The key takeaway from the report is the sales of existing homes continue to be crimped by high mortgage rates, high selling prices, and limited inventory. We'll be back in a minute. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. Hi, I'm Brad Barron, CEO at Barron Heating, AC Electrical, and Plumbing. We are grateful to have served you for over 50 years. As a thank you for choosing Barron, we're giving back through our Barron Furnace Fund this holiday season. Thanks to you, our team is thrilled to be able to give a furnace to three families in need of heat this winter. Here at Barron, we know the importance of keeping your home safe, warm, and comfortable. The Furnace Fund will provide proper heat for a family that would otherwise go without. So as the weather gets cold, help us eliminate one more worry for those in need by giving the warmth of a furnace. If you know a family that can benefit from this gift, we want to hear about it. Visit barronheating.com for details and to recommend a deserving family now through November 30th. Barron, your full-service HVAC electrical and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. Ready to upgrade your comfort system? For a limited time, Barron is offering a free water heater with the purchase of a new heating and cooling system. Don't wait. Call Barron for details today. I'm Secretary of State Steve Hobbs. Voting for the general election ended November 7th, but results are not final until counties certify later this month. Your local election office will continue receiving ballots that were postmarked by Election Day and will make sure every valid vote counts. Check the status of your ballot by visiting votewa.gov. That's V-O-T-E-W-A dot G-O-V. Sponsored by the Office of Secretary of State and aired in cooperation with the Washington State Association of Broadcasters and this station. One in four Americans have a disability. I'm one of them. I'm also a working mom who cares deeply about making sure every child with a disability thrives by getting their access needs met. We've got a trusted ally by our side. Easter Seals provides children and families the foundation for lifelong success through early learning programs, skills training, and prep for college and career. That's my Easter Seals. Make it yours. Join us at EasterSeals.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to World Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning here on KGMI. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway in the Pacific Commerce Center, just south of Wilson's Furniture on your right as you head towards Ferndale. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. And continuing on with this week's weekly market wrap-up, we saw that on Wednesday the stock market went into Thursday's Thanksgiving Day holiday, giving investors more for which to be thankful. Fortified by yet another impressive earnings report from Nevada, which fell prone to a sell-the-news response, an encouraging initial jobless claims report that Israel and Hamas agreeing to a four-day pause in fighting as part of the hostage release deal, and the lingering fear of missing out on further gains, the major indices padded their gains for the month. The gains were modest, but ultimately underpined by a broad-based buying interest and a general lack of selling interest at the index level. Advancers led decliners by a workman's like 5.5, 9-5 margin at the New York Stock Exchange and a 13-8 margin at the NASDAQ. The S&P 500 equal weight gained a half a percent, and did the Vanguard, or as did the Mega Cap Growth ETF. We saw Deer, Guess, Urban Outfitters, Nordstrom's, and Autodesk uh, were some of the individual laggards following their notice reports. Tesla, meanwhile, broke down below its 50-day moving average. We saw, otherwise, the market had a predominantly positive disposition, holding its line in the afternoon trade following the news that the rainbow bridge at Niagara Falls had been closed after a vehicle traveling to the U.S. from Canada had exploded. A follow-up report said that law enforcement officials were not calling this act an act of terrorism. Every sector finished the session higher, with the exception of the energy sector, which was a down a tenth of one percent. Gains for the other sectors ranged from a tenth of one percent to 0.9 percent. The energy sector trailed all day long, 
amid a roller coaster session for oil prices, which traded as low as 73.90 a barrel before settling in at 77.05 a barrel, down just seven tenths of one percent. There was a report that OPEC Plus is delaying its weekend meeting until November 30th, triggered the initial sell-off. As Bloomberg suggested, the delay was due to Saudi Arabia's dissatisfaction with the oil production levels in other members. The implication was that other members were overproducing. Prices likely rebounded on a sense that Saudi Arabia will aim to get that overproduction back in check. Trading volume was certainly held in check. It was light, which was no surprise ahead of the holiday. Reviewing the economic data for Wednesday, we saw initial jobless claims for the week ending November 18th decreased by 24,000 to 209,000, while continuing claims for the week ending November 11th decreased by 22,000 to 1.840 million. The key takeaway from this report is that the report covers the period in which the survey of the November employment report is conducted, so the low level of initial claims should support expectations of decent growth, certainly at this point of the Fed's tightening cycle for non-farm payrolls. We also saw durable goods orders for October decline 5.4% month over month, following a downward revised 4% increase in September. If you exclude transportation, durable goods orders were the first month-to-month uh, went, were flat month-to-month following a downward revised two-tenths of 1% increase in September. So the key takeaway from this report rests in the recognition that non-defense capital goods orders, excluding aircraft, which is a, a proxy for business spending, dropped a tenth of 1% month over month following a two-tenths of 1% decline in December. This isn't a major drop-off by any means, but it does fit with a softening environment in the manufacturing space. The final reading for the University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index for November came in at 61.3 versus a preliminary reading of 60.4 and October's final reading of 63.8. In the same period a year ago, the index stood at 56.7. So November marks the fourth straight month that consumer sentiment has declined. The key takeaway from this report is the jump in inflation and the expectations which is not what the Fed wants to see following the 525 basis points worth of tightening already. It is a type of indication that will keep the Fed entertaining the thought that further tightening may still be necessary. And your Mortgage Bankers Association Applications Index was up 3% week over week, with refinance applications up 2% and purchase applications up 3 of course, the markets were closed on Thursday, so on Friday, if you wanted some excitement at the market, it was not the place to be. It traded in a relatively listless fashion and very light volume, lacking the interest, the vigor, and the slate of news catalysts that are often seen during a normal trading session. This wasn't a normal session by virtue of the fact that the stock market closed at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 o'clock our time, although if you were trading the Aspider, uh, S&P 500, you might have questioning most of the session as market had opened at all. The market cap S&P traded effectively in a seven-point range during the session, harnessed by a relative weakness of one of the mega cap stocks and offset by gains in other names. To wit, the S&P 500 equal weight finished today uh, three-tenths of one percent higher, while the mega cap growth ETF finished three-tenths of one percent lower. The market cap-weighted S&P ended the session up fractionally. We saw a dividend again was in the spotlight throughout the abbreviated session, coming in under some pressure. And Reuters reported that the company is delaying its China's A1 chip. Apple also felt the sting of a uh, report. And reporters reported suggesting that it saw a year-over-year decline in smartphone sales during China's Singles Day. Those losses contributed to underperformance for the NASDAQ, along with losses at Alphabet, Meta Platforms, and Microsoft. Other stocks in the spotlight uh, included the retail stocks, but not so much for their performance because of Black Friday, the official start of the holiday shopping season, the uh, Spider S&P 500 retail uh, X, um, uh, ETF closed with a six-tenths of 1% gain. The S&P 500 sector performance was mostly positive. Nine sectors closed with gains ranging from a tenth of 1% to a half a percent. 
The two losing sectors were communication services and information technology. Communication services down seven-tenths and communication technology down three-tenths. Advances out in pace declines by a better than two-to-one margin on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. So reviewing the data for Friday, we saw that the preliminary S&P 500 global U.S. manufacturing PMI checked in at 49.4 versus the final reading of 50 in October. And the preliminary S&P 500 Global Services PMI checked in at 58 versus a final reading of 56.6 in October. So year-to-date, up through yesterday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now up 6.8%. The NASDAQ is up 36.2%. The S&P 500 is up 18.7%. And the Russell 2000 is up 2.6%. Dick Downey here with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We're going to be back after quick break. Thank you for being with us. Hi, this is Marcia Neal with Guided Solutions, formerly Vibrant USA. If you are on Medicare or if you and your family are on individual health insurance, the time to call us is now. You have a short window of time each year to review your health insurance coverage. To be sure you have the most cost-effective coverage for 2024, give Guided Solutions a call at 866-733-5111 and our helpful agents will be happy to assist you. You know those friends who say, stop by any time, and you're like, you don't really mean that. Well, unlike those friends, Dewey Griffin Subaru's Express Certified Subaru Tire and Service Center means it. They're open six days a week, including Saturdays. Stop by any time you need an oil change or any other minor maintenance, and they'll take care of you. No appointment necessary, and you'll get a free car wash with your service. Dewey Griffin Subaru, community-minded and community-driven, 1800 Iowa Street in Bellingham. Support the Boys and Girls Club of Whatcom County when you visit any local McDonald's restaurant between now and December 31st. The holidays are a time of generosity and good works. And now the McDonald's Spreading Smiles campaign makes it easy. Grab a bite to eat at any Whatcom County McDonald's and you'll be invited to donate to the Boys and Girls Club. Every dollar you give will support their important work serving more than 500 kids a day countywide from infant to age 18 in their four early learning centers and four clubhouses. They are open every weekday providing nutritious meals, help with homework, and an array of fun activities such as art and STEM. No child is ever turned away. Since 2008, the McDonald's Spreading Smiles campaign has raised over $419,000 to benefit our local kids. Help create great futures for young people and our community. Stop in before December 31st at any local McDonald's and donate to the Boys and Girls Club of Whatcom County. It's a great way to celebrate the holidays. KGMI Connects with Joe Tian is about our community and you. Hey, I, I want to uh, agree with the uh, with what Michelle said as far as you uh, listening. Very good to everybody and being open to every conversation, which is, I think, why so many people call. Join us each weekday at 4 p.m. for KGMI Connects. God bless you, Joe, for what you're doing, and, and we're glad to have you out there. On KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Tired of inefficient heating, poor indoor air quality, and rising energy bills? Contact West Mechanical today to explore going ductless with a system from Mitsubishi Electric Heating and Air Conditioning. Find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. CBS News Brief. A second batch of hostages is expected to be released in Gaza today. Jens Learke is with the UN. We hope the agreement between Israel and Hamas, now in force, will bring respite to the people of Gaza and Israel and some relief to the hostages and detainees who will be released and to their families. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, Chauvin rather, has been stabbed at a federal prison in Arizona where he's serving time for the murder of George Floyd. The Associated Press is reporting that Chauvin was stabbed by an inmate at a medium security prison in Tucson. They also said the inmate required life-saving measures from first responders. CBS Minnesota's Aaron Hassanzadeh. Go to Main Street to spend your holiday dollars on this small business Saturday. Personally, I think that if they don't keep us busy, they won't have a downtown. Because if they didn't have us downtown, they wouldn't have anybody. She owns a consignment shop in Charleston, West Virginia. CBS News Brief. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least 
Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. Happy to be in the studio doing our thing. As I mentioned at the start of the show today, I'm going to take a piece uh, from John Malden, M-A-U-L-D-I-N. Every week he puts out a free newsletter called Thoughts from the Frontline. Uh, I've read his newsletter every Saturday morning for probably at least 15 years, if not longer. Uh, I wouldn't call him the most bullish analyst that I've ever read all of his stuff. He really does cover a really broad economic base of information. I actually have uh, four people that I forward my newsletter to every week. I get up Saturday mornings and on my phone and, and forward it to them, share it with them. But uh, uh, his, his views are, you know, I think he points out a lot of things that I find really interesting. And I guess as much as anything, when you're sitting there managing clients' assets, as we are, um, he points out some things that I guess just kind of stick around in the back of your head. And if they happen, then you realize that they're happening. And I don't know if that's putting it in the right terms or not, but it's kind of like one of those warning flag type of things where you see it waving and and it kind of comes back to mind. And, gee, Malden was talking about that. So anyway, um Today, though, this type, his newsletter was this is November 18th. It's called Socially Insecure. Again, you can go online to Thoughts from the Frontline and subscribe to his new letters. There's no, there's no cost to them. But he started out, he says, if you get beyond the political rhetoric and assemble a group of, to solve Social Security, it would take about 15 minutes. It would then take 15 minutes only because 10 minutes was used for pleasantries. And that was a quote from Alan Greenspan, who in a speech to the Commercial Finance Association on October 26th of 2006. He said the federal government starts a new fiscal year every October 1st. In a rational world, Congress will fulfill its responsibilities by passing bills before that date to authorize spending in the various agencies and programs. No one would be fully satisfied if they would keep trying to push the policy of their desired direction while recognizing that life must go on. We used to live in that world, but now it's gone, replaced by gridlock and a series of short-term bills that only delay the hard choices. And voters seem to be okay with this since they keep re-electing the politicians who produce it. Our congressman or congresswoman is not the problem. It's all those other guys. The House last week passed two separate short-term extensions that will expire early next year. The next step will be either a government shutdown or another kick the can down the road. There is, as the kids used to say, slim or no chance that Congress will actually do its job and slim has left town. I like his humor, too. Worst of all, the annual discretionary spending bills are a relatively small dispute. The big money is in the vast entitlement programs whose expenditures are on the unlimited autopilot plus the interest pay we pay to finance them. We will never find the way to resolve this fix, these much worse, and by far more politically difficult problems when we can't even agree on next year's budget. All this should be exasperating, as the no, no matter what your political views. We do deserve better. I can only keep preaching, hoping each time the message will get through to a few more people. I get glimmers of hope from people in high places thanking me for saying it. At least they're listening, even if they can't do much. Like other programs, Social Security is unsustainable in its current form. And like many other programs, there are ways to fix it, but we lack the will to actually do so. So today, I'll explain why. So so first of all, he started out, he says, we've ignored reality. Social Security system was designed to look like a giant shared savings program. Workers and employers paid FICA taxes that go to a trust fund until the worker becomes eligible for benefits. Meanwhile, they earn interest in a special type of treasury bond. In fact, it's not shared at all. As with any other tax, the fact that you paid something into this system creates no legal obligation for the government to give you anything in return. That's up to Congress, which can change its mind any time. This was confirmed by the Supreme Court many years ago in Fleming versus Nestor in 1960. Nonetheless, <clears throat> Washington maintains 
the fracade because it's politically useful and because of the trust fund surplus technically lets them go do so. Now the surplus is dwindling as a large generation of baby boomers lives much longer than the system's designers had envisioned. It will disappear completely around 2033. That is the trust fund, according to government projections. So what happens then? Well, under current law, the FICA tax revenue is insufficient to cover current benefits. Then benefits will be cut by whatever amount is needed. The Congressional Budget Office calculates the cut would be around 25% in 2034, rising to 28% in 2053. And that'll be a problem for many people. Not me, or probably you, who have investment or other income. But the vast majority of Social Security beneficiaries depend heavily on this income and don't have many alternatives. This presents a quandary. This cuts will happen unless Congress agrees on some way to close the difference between tax revenue and promised benefits. It's not something that they can delay with another continuing resolution. For now, the answer is just ignore reality. I don't mean just avoid talking about it. Congress is actively and intentionally obscuring the problem. Here's how. Remember last week, this is the weeks before letter, he explained how the law requires the Congressional Budget Office to assume spending and revenue will continue as directed by current law, though on course we know that the law changes. He said there are exceptions to that policy, one is which is Social Security. The CBO's budget projections are legally required to assume the Social Security benefits will always be paid in full whether sufficient funding is available or not. This is called the scheduled benefits scenario. The CBO orders are to assume that someone will magically solve the Social Security program problem without explaining where the money will come from. They could, they could have told CBO to assume a magic hat with a rabbit in it. It would have been equally realistic. This is actually a well-known phenomenon in economics. Economists like to create models for the future. And since the future is messy and chaotic, it doesn't model very well. They make assumptions that make it easier to create the model. Of course, in doing so, they are assuming a, a way the real world. The most obvious ex- example of this is the rational market theory, which is mathematically solid only because the Nobel laureates that designed this assumed way uh, assumed way the real world. Just like Congress assumes that, that when they push comes to shove, somehow the Social Security problem will be solved. Actually, I believe it will be, but the solution won't look like anything that in anybody's projections or mine, meaning John Malden's today. So the scheduled insolvency, basically, perhaps realizing how ridiculous this is, the CBO also publishes a separate payables benefit scenario, which is limited to Social Security's dedicated funding, i.e. the trust fund and the projected payroll tax revenue. This also requires numerous assumptions, but they are at least have some basis to, in reality. So they have a chart here, and they call the blue schedule benefits line, and this is the magic hat scenario. It assumes that cash needed to pay everyone their promise will simply appear from some unknown source. The black dash line, which is lower than the blue line, is the payable benefits scenario in which benefits are paid only from what's available. The trust fund for now plus that year's projected payroll tax. So that's where we come up with that 25% cut starting around 2033-2034. And so the blue line assumes it's going to get paid, but this, all of a sudden there's a sharp drop down, and that's because revenues have dropped. So as he says in here, you can see in the little vertical line that pointed, estimating 2033, at which the trust fund is totally depleted, leaving the system fully dependent on current tax revenue. No one has any idea how far that will go, and that's how this, here's how the CBO describes it. So as if a trust fund is depleted <coughs> and its expenditures continue to exceed its receipts, two federal laws will come into conflict. Under the Social Security Act, beneficiaries remain legally entitled to full benefits. However, in terms of the Anti-Deficiency Act, the Social Security Administration would not have legal authority to pay those benefits on time. The Act prohibits government spending in excess of available funds. So it's unclear what specific actions the Social Security Administration would take if a trust fund was insolvent. Needless to say, this is a mess. 
It's hard to imagine Congress allowing any such thing to happen, but avoiding it will require some combination of higher payroll taxes and reduced and or postponed by higher retirement age. Benefits also won't be easy. Waiting to act makes it even harder and more expensive. They could also cut other parts of the budget to sustain Social Security, but that would forever disprove the notion that Social Security is somehow independent. The CPO rather uh, dryly notes that the payable benefits scenario would have some beneficial effects, though. The agency estimates that the debt held by the public in 2053 would fall to 132% of GDP instead of 181%. They also say savings rates would go up, reducing interest rates and the Treasury's borrowing costs. Many senior citizens return to the job market and expand the labor supply, enhancing GDP growth. That all sounds good, but it's not realistic. Retired people can vote, and in this situation would likely do so in droves. Angrily so, and what where they would lead is anyone's guess. Probably nowhere good. So again, what he's saying there is that the... Uh, uh, he sees some beneficial effects if, in fact, that we saw that drop because it would force people to work longer. It would also decrease the national debt. Then there's that third rail. Without big changes, in 2033, plus or minus a couple of years, the Social Security Trust Fund will be gone. At that point, it will become pay-as-you-go system without enough tax revenue to cover its obligations, which will force steep and immediate benefit cuts. This situation isn't currently reflected in the official federal budget projections because Congress has ordered the congressional office to ignore it. The last time we saw the Social Security crisis was in the early 1980s under Reagan and Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill. It was supposed to fix Social Security for all time, but did we know it didn't. George Bush actually ran on a platform to fix Social Security, which to his credit he realized was a serious problem. That's George W. Bush. No one has surprised when Democrats were opposed, but Bush couldn't get Republicans to close the third rail either. The third rail is how electric trains get their power. Touch it, and if you die, and don't get electrocuted. The, the longer Congress waits, the harsher the necessary changes will have to be. There's no sign anything will happen, certainly not before the 2024 elections, and the clock is ticking. Few in Congress are even talking about how to avoid this train wreck. Going to take a quick break, come back, and we'll finish this newsletter in a minute. Dick Donahue with you. Thanks for listening. The biggest sale of the year is here during Black Friday weekend at DeWard and Bodie. Shop Black Friday doorbuster deals at all three stores with savings up to 50% off on a massive selection of refrigerators, freezers, gas and electric ranges, cooktops, dishwashers, laundry sets, mattresses, and so much more. You'll find one-of-a-kind deals on end-of-season closeouts, ding and dent, and floor model appliances and mattresses with savings you won't find anywhere else. Keep your cash and pay no money down and no interest for two full years on qualified appliances and up to five years on qualifying mattresses. Plus, shop in confidence with DeWard and Bodie's 30-day local price match guarantee on qualifying items so you know you're getting the best price in town even after the holidays. As always, get fast professional delivery and installation plus worry-free warranty options up to five years as DeWard and Bodie services all the products they sell. Now is your chance to shop the biggest sale of the year during Black Friday weekend at DeWard and Bodie in Bellingham and Burlington. Financing OAC offer qualifications of Hello, folks. This is Phil George. I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney here in Bellingham, and I'd like to invite you to join me every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. right here on KGMI for the Aging Hour. If you have questions about Medicare, Medicaid, long-term care costs, probate, wills, trusts, or anything else that has to do with aging, this is the radio show for you. Studies show that more than 70% of estate plans fail when families need them the most. Join us every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m., and we can show you how to set your family up for success. In the shop. And I saw a little headline that says, uh, how much does it cost to replace the Ford F-150 Lightning's battery? I thought, that ought to be interesting. Kurt from Angler, Brian from Dr. John's, and Dan from Bellingham and Burlington Automotive. The cost around, are you ready for this? 30000 bucks. Join them on In the Shop, 9 to 10 a.m. every Saturday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA 
Welcome back to Wolf Wake Up Live. Dick Downey here with you this Saturday morning, live and in studio. Got questions for me? Always give me a call, 360-733-1200. Going to continue on with this newsletter that I had from John Malden, uh, M-A-U-L-D-I-N, called Thoughts from the Frontline. It's free. You can go online and subscribe to it. I've done so for about 15 years. Like I said, I always find little bits of information here you keep in the back of your brain. When you see it happening, you realize that it is. Anyway, continuing on with his analysis of Social Security, he said, well, yeah, one way or another, we're going to have to bite this bullet. And I mean we in the broadest sense. It affects everyone since retirement-aged Americans are a large and growing pop percentage of the population. Social Security is a large part of their income. As it changes, your customers might not be able to spend as much as you thought, or your elderly parents might need more help than expected. Probably the least painful step would be raising the retirement age. I say least painful instead of painless. Delaying eligibility means some people will get less over time. That's the whole point in doing it. Each one-year increase reduces their lifetime benefits by around 5%, according to one estimate that I saw. Further, if biotechnology develops as they expect, life expectancy is going to keep rising, and particularly to the higher earners who get the highest benefits. This will consume some and maybe all of the savings from raising the retirement age. Telling people to work a few more years also assumes employers will get to continue paying them. As with any 60-plus person who has ever looked for a job will tell you, that's not always the case. Age discrimination is a real problem. Conversely, keeping older people in the workforce longer might reduce opportunities for younger people. The spillover effects could be significant. So what else can we do? Well, the two primary targets are, one, the taxes people pay on their working years, and two, the formulas by which benefits are initially awarded, adjusted for inflation, and sometimes taxed. So let's examine each of those in order. The Social Security tax is split between the employers and employees, each of whom pays 6.2% of their earnings up to a cap. This year is $160,200. It just ups word next year to 168600 next year. That means that uh, you're going to pay 6.2% of your gross income, up to 168600 next year for Social Security. The employer pays the same amount. <coughs> if you're self-employed, you pay the employer side as well, which is 12.4%. On that full amount, it's $20,900 plus Medicare taxes, plus income taxes, plus hyphen, hyphen, hyphen. Many workers pay more in Social Security, plus the separate Medicare tax, than their income tax liability. And while you can reduce it a bit with benefit plans and such, this is a hard way to avoid, which means raising it would touch practically every worker, and this is politically difficult. If Congress could somehow find the will, raising this tax might buy some time. One calculator I consulted estimates one percentage point increase split between employers and employee would push the 2033 deadline out to 2040, even without changing anything else. So they're saying if they increase the payroll taxes by 1%, split between the employer and the employee would push out that cut that they're looking at in 2033 to 2040. They could do roughly the same thing by raising the cap so much more wage income is taxed, which might also be politically palatable, though economically destructive. But again, this would only delay the problem a few years instead of fixing it. So he's also saying they could raise the cap that they're taking Social Security taxes from. Congress could also change the Social Security benefits in a variety of ways. The current system determines your initial benefit amount by a formula based on replacing a certain percentage of your lifetime job earnings. Thereafter, adjust for inflation each year. They could tweak these formulas to produce savings without overly noticeable cuts. So various kinds of means testing are also a common form of a reform idea. This would mean reducing or even eliminating benefits to retirees with other income sources. We actually already do this by making some benefits taxable over certain income levels. These people get their benefits, then send a portion right back with their income tax return. It is means testing by in all by the name, but could do more of this. This would, of course, make those people unhappy. Didn't say paying the fair share into the system, and now they get no benefits. Is Social Security just welfare? Then 
then when not everyone gets it, if you paid the highest amount over your lifetime. So another common idea is to invest some of the Social Security trust funds, stocks, or other private assets. And while I sometimes am bullish and sometimes bearish on the short-term market returns, I'm very bullish in the longer term, say 30 to 40 years. Various experts have proposed different ways to include other investments in Social Security. This is worth pursuing and would be a long-term solution. The more immediate challenges would remain. Not to mention, you can't invest the trust fund in stocks or anything else unless the trust fund has a surplus. As of now, younger workers' tax revenue is needed to pay current benefits. We have to pro- solve that problem and make, up and make any of these plans feasible. So he says, as you can see, every option has its limitations. My opening quote from Greaseband was right. Social Security is an easy fix compared to other programs, but it will mean pro- compromise in touching the third rail. Anyone who proposes something mathematically rational will be accused of pushing grandma off the cliff. We actually had those ads in previous political cycles. When politics wins over rationality, when kicking the can down the road is easier political choice, it means we won't get have a problem until there is a crisis, which is coming in less than a decade. Right now, the interest expense in the U.S. government is approaching the size of the U.S. defense budget. In 10 years, when the CPO projects almost $3 trillion deficits a year and total debt will be well over $60 trillion, the cost of interest will be approaching the Social Security expense. These calculations are not, these are, these, their calculations, not mine. They have consistently underestimated the final number for the debt for 10 years out because by law, they must assume both parties won't find ways to spend more money. You likely already knew Social Security was a problem. I hope this letter demonstrates it's an even worse problem than you thought, and you haven't talked with Medicare yet. Decades of promises are finally running into reality, and reality is going to win. So again, that's John Malden's Thoughts from the Frontline weekly newsletter a week ago. I love it. Okay, let's go ahead and get back down to ground here. here. We're going to talk about a little bit about U.S. mortgage rates sliding sharply, reinvigorating the housing demand. We're seeing that U.S. mortgage rates dropped, capping the biggest four-week slide in nearly a year and, and spurring a fresh round of applications for purchase homes. The contract rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage dropped 20 basis points. That would be two-tenths of 1% to 7.41% last week. Data from the Mortgage Bankers Association showed on Wednesday the index of home purchase applications increased 3.9% for the week and in November 17th was the most since June. Since reaching a 23-year high of nearly 8% in mid-October, mortgage rates have plunged nearly half a percentage point. The effective rate, which includes fees and compound interest, dropped to a still elevated 7.59%. In contrast, the five-year adjustable rate increased. Mortgage rates tend to move in tandem with Treasury yields. The 10-year Treasury yield has fallen sharply this month after hitting a 16-year high in October, helped by signs that the economy is cooling along with inflation. The overall index of applications, which includes purchases and refinancing, rose for the third week, and refinancing activity picked up. The MBA survey, that's the Mortgage Bankers Association, which has conducted weekly since 1990, uses a response from mortgage bankers, commercial banks, and thrifts. The data covers about 75% of all residential mortgage applications in the U.S. We're also seeing that the um, U.S. consumer uh, year-ahead of inflation expectations are rising further, so they're saying we think we're going to have higher inflation from consumers. The U.S. short-term inflation expectations climbed to a seven-month high in November, Longer-run price views remained at levels that haven't seen since 2011. Americans expect prices will climb at an annual rate of 4.5% year-over-year next year, up from 4.4% expected earlier in the month, according to the November reading from the University of Michigan. They see costs raising 3.2% over the next 5 to 10 years, according to data out Wednesday. Consumers appear worried that the softening of inflation could reverse the months and years ahead. Despite seeing prices on the pump, one-year gas price expectations rose to their highest reading since June of 22. Five-year gas prices expectations are at their highest level since March of 22. 
Treasury yields climbed and the dollar strengthened following the report, while the S&P 500 also advanced. The University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index improved from the previously reported figure to 61.3 on brighter views of their finances. The median estimate for Bloomberg survey of economists called for a reading of 61. However, the gauge is sitting at a six-month low as views about short- and long-term economic outlook worsened from October. Earlier this month, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell was asked how he elevated how he an elevated year-ahead inflation reading would impact the central bank's December rates decision. He said, despite the statistic playing a major role in decision and raise interest rates next year, Powell emphasized inflation expectations are in good place, and the committee looks at a range of things. So buying conditions for durable goods improved with earlier in the month likely reflecting some discounting by merchandise for the holiday shopping season. Consumers' perception of their current and future financial situation increased from earlier in the month. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here at KGMI. Thanks for listening. Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Have a great day. Have a great week. Give us a call, 360-733-1200, and take care out there. Enjoy shopping and all that other good stuff that we have a look ahead of us. Thanks for being here. on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.